0: Welcome to Activate, a podcast for mobile marketers brought to you by Remerge. Take a short break from your screen and listen to what's working in mobile marketing and what's not, straight from the people who are doing it now. Are you ready?
1: Let's get started.
0: Hey, everyone. You are tuned in. To another episode of the Activate podcast. I almost laughed at myself because that was a very aggressive, hey, everyone. But to all of those of you who have joined us again today, super stoked to have you. We have a guest and an organization that I have long wanted to have on this podcast, an organization whose name is somewhat universal and ubiquitous in the mobile marketing industry and that I think everyone holds in a very high regard. So I'm super excited. Again, today's guest, David Llewellyn who is the marketing director for EMEA at AppsFlyer. David, what's going on? Thanks for joining.
1: Hey, Tommy. Thank you so much. Thank you for the kind intro as well. Really excited to be here.
0: We are excited to have you. David, you are in London, yes?
1: Yep, yeah, that's correct. Based out of London and looking after the marketing team here in EMEA for AppsFlyer.
0: Fantastic. And have you been in London? I mean, obviously, we can hear it in the voice, right? It's a killer accent. But have you been there for a very long time?
1: Yeah, I've lived in the Southeast for about 15 years, but I was originally grew up in a much more rural area, about two hours to the west of London. So I'm a country boy originally, and I live just outside London. So I still have the fields around me, but I love the city. I love the tech scene in London, which is obviously what brought me here. And just yeah, everything about it, it's a great place to be.
0: Yeah, tell me about that, actually, because we've had guests on this podcast from Berlin, Copenhagen, Israel, obviously the US. I'm not sure I've interviewed anyone in London, or at least gotten the chance to talk about the tech scene in London. What do you think makes it a good tech scene there? And what kind of growth have you seen in it in the last maybe five to 10 years?
1: I mean, there's a few things that go into kind of what makes London's tech scene so exciting. I think the first thing is that it's a very multicultural city. So you've got people from all over the world, lots of different influences and so you don't get too much groupthink you get all of the amazing companies i've been privileged to work for i've just been in with companies which might have 200 people but have 40 or 50 nationalities in there and so i think that's amazing and that's a huge factor in that i think the other thing as well is it's kind of got this mixture of a lot of startups uh, a lot of established scale-ups But also, of course, what brought a lot of people here and certainly is a big part of the scene is the fact that a lot of the big, big tech platforms, the Googles and the Facebooks and what have you, all either established their EMEA or Europe HQ in London, or they at least have a very, very big presence. So you just have this huge melting pot of lots of incredible nationalities, cultures, and of course, everything from one and two man bedroom startups to the biggest companies in the world. And that's great.
0: It's an interesting point you brought up about something like Google, right? Or your Facebook or, or any of those really, really large tech companies. That's kind of a, a vein that I've seen that kind of goes through All these cities that have a big tech presence, think Dublin, think Berlin, think Israel, et cetera, right? All of them, it seems, one of the big giants is there as well. And maybe that is part of what helps drive some of this growth in conjunction with what you had mentioned before, right? Which is multicultural populations, in London's case, really strong education system as well, I imagine, is a big part of it. But that's super interesting. So you mentioned there are startups, there's large enterprise organizations in London, Tell us about kind of what your career path has looked like within that city.
1: My career just started by, as I think most people's does, with, with a bit of serendipity. I was at university longer than I care to mention back in 99, 2000, and I got a student job working selling smartphones. That was where it all began. So you know, it's, it's over 20, it's about 20 years ago now, give or take. Did that job for four or five years. It was a good student job. It paid well, paid better than bar work, and I got to see these kind of funny little business sorry, not little, these big bricks that everyone was carrying around in 1999, 2000, become mass market consumer devices. And in 2005, people were screaming when they saw a 0.3 megapixel camera. I mean, you could barely even tell who the photo was of. It looked like a cartoon. It was so bad. But people were screaming and just so excited about it. And they had Snake on their phone. And-
0: the old Nokia phones had Snake. Man, I, I would steal my dad's phone and just play
1: for hours. What a game. Exactly, you're a bit younger than me, Tommy, this is clear. And so uh, exactly. And then so that's what started it. I just had this amazing kind of experience of seeing how excited people were with this technology and realizing what a game changer it was. And then when I left university, I started as an analyst in the city in London, focused on technology, media and telecoms. But quickly realized that being an analyst wasn't quite what I wanted to do. I wanted to be more creative, wanted to have a bit of a broader kind of uh, career. An analyst is a very narrow path and it's a great skill set. So then I uh, started working for one of the early mobile marketing agencies in London, probably the first full-service mobile marketing agency. And this is pre-apps. This was 2006, 2007. And then, of course, along came the iPhone, along came Android a year later, and that obviously changed everything. And I've just been super fortunate ever since then to have just worked for some amazing apps like Shazam and Skyscanner and Halo, which is one of the big taxi apps over here, which merged with my taxi a few years back, Amazon.
0: Oh, that's right.
1: Yeah. So just super fortunate, but all luck because it was, you know, I started as a student job 20 years ago, just selling phones and just got excited by it. And yeah, here I am hanging in there, feeling like a dinosaur a little bit a little bit later on.
0: No, it's amazing. From slinging phones to uh, now at AppSly telling the world about attribution, it is a really, really cool path. I looked at your background a little bit and you just told us about it, obviously. And you mentioned Skyscanner, MyTaxi, work on the agency side. It sounds like you've made a big change. And this is something that I see pretty often in our space, but I'd be interested to get your perspective. So you went from being a marketing manager at a company like MyTaxi or Halo to now working more on the vendor side in a marketing capacity. Why'd you
1: choose to do that? Do you know what? It's a really interesting question, and it wasn't what I necessarily saw five years ago when I was an app marketer through and through. I think there was a couple of really good reasons. Firstly, in the last three years before I joined, I'd started to work in. I'd always been in marketplace businesses, but I'd started to work at Halo MyTaxi and then at the recruitment tech business debut that I was at before AppsFlyer. In marketplaces where I had a lot of focus on the B two B side, I got quite a generalist skill set, and I'd done quite a bit of B two B, but not certainly wasn't a really experienced B two B marketer by any stretch. Still not, many would argue, but that's not the point. So I definitely had quite a lot of B two B, particularly in the last two or three years, and that was one reason. You know, I felt that I had the capability to do this. Secondly, of course, being an app marketer, I kind of know what the buying signals were for me, what the content was that I wanted to consume and what the pain points were. So sitting on this side of the fence now, I can really relate to a lot of our customers and and I find that really, really helpful and I I really enjoy conversations I have with customers, whether it's at at events or whatever. So that was the other thing. But then the main reason, I'll be be honest, and I promise you I'm not selling anything here, is just that I've been a client, stroke partner, stroke, friend of AppSpire for five years or so and just been blown away from day one by the people, the tech, and the principles and the kind of culture within the company. I've been fortunate enough to be invited to speak at a couple of their events since 2017, 2018. Did a digital video for them in 2018 as well. Just loved the company. Got to know all these different people who are just so amazing. And um, so when I connected with Ran Avrahami, who's the CMO, who, who was employee number 13 or something, I think, way back when, when Apps was a true, true tiny little startup in 2011, 2012. Connected with him early 2018 and 2019. Sorry, and the rest is history. It was kind of a bit of a no-brainer. They were looking for someone like me with an app marketing background, and I was had always loved the company, so uh, I was a pretty easy decision.
0: Yeah, and I mean, objectively, Apps Flyer is an amazing success story within our industry, right? This is a company that I would argue wasn't first to market as far as attribution is concerned within the mobile uh, ecosystem, right? Like someone probably say Tune uh, slash what was then has offers and who was it, AdEx out of France, right? Who got bought- AdEx, yeah,
1: Criteo business, yeah.
0: Yeah, like they were some of the first. Then I think Appsar was probably third or somewhere along the line, third or fourth, right? Despite that, despite being a late entry into uh, the already congested marketplace, right? That's really hard to supplant other SDKs because they're so sticky in the app. They've done an incredible job. And since 2011, they started it. So we're nine years into a business that now at around 1,000 employees, right? Probably 900, 1,000
1: employees. Correct. We, we literally passed that milestone last week, I think.
0: That's badass. So yeah, I mean, it makes sense to me why you join, especially because you have that awesome perspective of being on the other side, right? And, and it's a tool that you believe in. So totally makes sense. But let's chat about attribution. This is obviously high competitive marketplace and there's a ton going on. I think three years ago, the key word in, in the attribution space was multi-touch, which... I don't want to get into too much because I don't believe in multi-touch, and I don't think it will ever exist, and I don't think it should ever exist. However, over the last years or so, maybe less, some of the more prevalent kind of buzzwords I've seen as it relates to attribution are things like cross-screen attribution, people-based attribution. And it is, to my knowledge, this is a place where AppsFlyer is really trying to make some significant strides. Could you speak to us a little bit about kind of what you guys are doing? as it relates to cross-screen attribution and why that's maybe important to marketers?
1: Yeah, completely. And it was actually one of the challenges I was, I've worked on in my app marketing past when I've been at businesses that have web presence and uh, want to do web UA and what have you. So there aren't many businesses doing it. And I, I think that's because it is complicated. And I don't think anyone that claims to have the final solution for that is, is telling the truth. This is definitely a journey that we are going on along with our clients and along with the market. And it's one where it's changing. Privacy and security is absolutely paramount in this industry at the moment, and it's one of our core principles as a company. So whenever we're doing anything, there are many things that you can do with attribution data, but that doesn't mean that you should do it. We obviously make the ethical decision as well as what's right for us commercially and our clients from a benefit perspective. But I think it's an interesting space, and it's one where we've been building this product, I think, since around about 2018 and have uh, obviously what we think is a fabulous product but it's definitely something that we're constantly evolving constantly building our roadmap is phenomenal it's obviously we won't go into too much detail today but there's there's just so much more that i think can be done with this but it's interesting what you said about multi-touch, right because i think there's lots of buzzwords that go around industries and, and people say that we're doing it and that they're good at it and the reality is that very few people do and i think Cross device is, is really challenging to get right. There are lots of different and on the face of it, great use cases for it. But the reality is that I think for most marketers focus on one, work out why you want to use it in the first place, what's your main pain point and see if it fixes that. But anyone who says they're, they're using cross device attribution or people-based attribution and solving seven or eight pain points, for me, probably isn't telling the truth there. There's probably two or three really great things you can do with it in your business and there will become many more. But it's complex and user journeys are complex and the tech behind it is complex.
0: And the user journey component is, I think, something that we often overlook, right? Because my visceral or or initial reaction when someone says cross device is two screens, right? My desktop and my phone, right? That's all I think about. I don't have a tablet. I think tablets are stupid. So not my tablet, but desktop, phone is what I think. The reality of the situation is, all right, what about email, which is desktop, but it's a different medium within desktop than you just searching the web, right? What about OTT and TV? What about SMS? There are so many different factors that you have to take into account to really create a holistic, comprehensive viewpoint of kind of a user's journey. And that's one of the biggest challenges that it sounds like you guys are trying to tackle.
1: Yeah, and do you know what, it's so interesting you start with that perspective, because I actually think as marketers and as people in the industry, we don't generally start with that perspective. We normally start with the perspective of conversion rates or lowering cost, optimizing this, maximizing ROI, whatever our metrics, what matters to us. And I think when I've got more and more into this in recent years, and then of course joining apps by so getting deeper under the skin of it, the reality is that it's really easy to forget. The consumer doesn't think about anything like that. The consumer is 100% device agnostic. Even though we think we're all obsessed with our smartphone, which of course we are, we don't consciously make these decisions about how we interact with brands on different devices. We're sat on the bus. We want to think about a holiday. We pull our phone out. We're sat at the desktop. We want to think about do some banking. You load the website with the bank. We don't kind of think about conversion rates and stuff like that. And I think if you think about it from a user journey perspective and don't silo, those different aspects of the user journey whether it's a device team or whether it's you know I even I spoke to a brand recently obviously won't name any names who said they have a a web team a mobile app team and a mobile web team and all three of them optimize towards revenue as their main KPI which puts them in direct conflict with each other straight away because of course if you're the mobile web person you're going to try and convert them on mobile web if you're the app person you're going to try and convert them in the app and the reality is I think everyone's kind of waking up, and hopefully is waking up to the fact that users want to interact however they want to interact with it. They probably want to get all the different services you've got on all the different devices, which isn't always possible technically, and that's a challenge. But ultimately, they don't really care about your conversion rates and stuff like that. They want to be able to just use it however they use it and understanding how they're using it. So if you can tie these users to different device sessions Then you can see that in travel, for example, which is one of the hero use cases for cross-device, in travel, people are using their phone a lot to research. So should your mobile web team be trying to get them to convert really aggressively? Probably not. They should probably be thinking about messaging that sells the benefit of the app or gives them a reason to log in on the website by sending them an email with with their search history or something like that. So it's interesting that you mentioned that sort of user experience is being at the heart of this, because for me, that's the most important thing, right? And I think it's the thing that can be overlooked here. It's probably, for me, the hero use case of people-based attribution.
0: Yeah, and I think based on what you just said too, right, I think one of the wonderful end results of having something like people-based attribution is you can take that classic statement that you hear at every mobile marketing conference, right? You want to serve the right ads, the right person at the right time, right? But it should really be the right ads, the right person on the right platform on the right time, right? Because your experience with the TV is different than my experience on your phone. And to your point, all right, if consumers are browsing travel options on their phone, but actually converting on desktop or being influenced most by TV, that should influence how the brand
1: interacts with those consumers on those mediums.
0: Do you think that's at all accurate or what you guys are are hoping to arrive at?
1: Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. And I I might even add one more thing, which is maybe even the format on the device as well. So if you have seen that user journey, and you do understand the journey, or you can infer where they are through probabilistic matching, then you might even choose to show video format, if you think they're more top of funnel, then potentially, if you think someone's, you know, you've seen them had six or five or six different touch points with you in the last 30 days, then you might be much more promotion oriented and banner info or something that's going to drive them deep link them straight away. But No, I couldn't agree more with that. It's definitely the right time, right place. But also, like you say, the right device. And I'd argue the right format as well. If you have that insight and you have that ability,
0: for sure. It totally makes sense. So it sounds like intuitively, this makes all the sense in the world. Correct me if I'm wrong. We're not totally there yet. Like you said at the beginning, right? Like it's still kind of people-based attribution is still in kind of early stages. What can advertisers do to approximate it or to get closer, right? Instead of, like you said, right, instead of siloing their teams, what are ways that they can get closer to achieving kind of what it is we're talking about? Are there middle grounds?
1: The team siloing thing, I think, is a separate conversation more around how you stretch your business. I think that's a growth squad kind of conversation. And I truly believe that that was probably a pretty primitive non-digital first business. So obviously not naming the name, but that I would hope in most good mobile first or digital first businesses isn't happening as maybe an extreme example but the point around what can you do i mean the first thing i think we've all got to do with people-based attribution is lose the retargeting spam i think there's nothing that irritates me a sample size of one but i think probably most people will relate to this than the retargeting spam you get that just doesn't recognize your cross-device user journey so by encouraging the user to log in or giving them some reason to give you an ability to match them across devices, you can give them a much more intuitive experience and and also save yourself a ton of money. But ultimately, lose that kind of buy now, buy now, buy now retargeting. When I've already bought, I've just done it on my desktop two days after I looked at all those trainers on my phone. As I say, easier said than done, admittedly. But if you know, to your question is, where do we start? I think that's a pretty good place because I think people, if we want to improve the quality of advertising in the industry, if we want to improve the user experience to our earlier point, then being as intelligent as we can and creating a messaging journey across multiple platforms and and also saving yourself a ton of money by not going after people who've already bought or trying to upsell them potentially might be the way to do it. You know, they've already bought something. That's great. So, hey, how about something else that you were looking at in your basket? We know you've already got an account. Let's serve you some more intelligent messaging. So... I think improving the quality of media across all channels, whether it's retargeting or user acquisition, less not retargeting media, but that is super important because I feel like some businesses still don't get that right. And I think people-based can solve that. But I don't think it's easy and I don't think we're there quite yet. But I think it's, it should be one of our primary aspirations as an industry, which is to, like you were saying a few minutes ago, serve the right ad at the right time with the right data in the background that says what this user's journey has been.
0: Yeah. And it sounds like even without an ideal setup for people-based attribution, there are still things that we can do to help mediums talk to each other better. Meaning, if you're an app and you require a social login, right, and a user logs in a desktop, that information should probably be transferred to the mobile phone as well in some capacity so that we're aware that this person just logged in and we might not want to serve them ads, retargeting ads to register or to log in or something like that. Is that at all in line with what you're saying?
1: Exactly. So as well as the abandoned basket use case, which we, which is obviously a core use case in retargeting, which is a great use case of retargeting, it's also the people who have bought, exactly like you say. And normally when you buy, you've logged in and therefore there might be some deterministic way of saying, OK, let's not continue to waste our money and upset this user and, and create this kind of brand fatigue. I think it was a PwC, a Test Cooper, um survey last year that said that one in three, so 33%, who have a bad brand experience. Will leave that brand and will not come back, and of course, then you've got the negative K factor of how many people they tell as well about that negative experience. So, definitely, reducing that brand fatigue is super important. And of course, as marketers, when we do talk about conversion rates and, and revenue and, and optimization, then then it's in our interest to do that anyway because we don't want to waste bucks. We want to pay for the best users and, and get those those higher conversion rates, and, and ultimately not spam people in that respect. So, I think that's definitely one of the ways that people based can help. I think. At a more simple level, maybe being less aspirational and less philosophical about it, I think perhaps one of the key things that I think is something that every marketer can do as a start-off point is really to just look at assist channels and how they work across different devices. And, and I know you mentioned multi-touch attribution earlier, and maybe that you weren't such a big fan of it. And I think multi-touch is obviously a kind of parallel discipline to people-based. They're not the same thing. Obviously, you can have multi-touch within one device. but understanding not just the assist channels that maybe don't get the recognition on last click. We know that there's certain social networks out there that are fabulous for retargeting and come up so often in our reports as being assist channels, ones where we've seen interaction or at least page impressions, but aren't necessarily, or even quite rarely, the last click attribution. Understanding those channels and maybe how you can then use that data to, to A, not kill that from your mix, which you would do if you went last click only. But also be maybe just say okay if you're not going to convert maybe I stop throwing convert messages down your throat when you're on that particular channel maybe I just do nicer mid funnel stuff and top of funnel stuff and just keep you engaged keep you happy so I definitely think there is a role to play with using people based to optimize your marketing spend but I hear you with multi touch
0: my qualm with multi touch is again like it's been a a thing we've talked about for. Since I've been in the space, it's been, hey, we got to solve last click because it's not enough. Let's use multi-touch. Yeah. And I just, I haven't seen it fleshed out. And honestly, I, I don't believe it's the greatest solution that we have available. I think something like incrementality solves the exact problem that multi-touch is trying to solve. It's not my podcast. I'm not the one getting interviewed, but I, I did want to interview.
1: I'm not going to push back on that too strongly. I think it's like I said earlier, it's, it's picking simple wins with new technologies and not being printed. So there is a joke about big data when uh, everyone decided that was the new thing, whatever that was, five years, 10 years ago, however long you want to say that was. And it was uh, big data is like teenage sex. Everyone's talking about it. Uh, no one knows how to do it. They think everyone else is doing it and everyone claims that they're doing it. And the reality is that no one's actually doing it. So I thought that was a good, we kind of feel like holistic marketing, people-based, cross-device. That's definitely something that a few years ago, everyone was kind of treating like teenage sex and pretending that they knew what they're talking about. And I think multi-touch absolutely falls into that bracket. And I think that's why when you said, where do we start with this? And how do people make sense of this? I think it's about picking, like you say, one or two things that are genuine pain points for you and for your customers and seeing how the technologies can solve those. And then build your confidence from there, grow from there. Don't try and build utopia straight away, particularly with the technology that is evolving and and iterating all the time.
0: I also think one of the things I kind of gather from some, a lot of what you say is, things like people-based attribution and whatever, let's just, let's say multi-touch attribution is really valuable just for the sake of the argument. Part of the paradigm shift these require requires that we as marketers just broaden the scope through which we look at the media that we're buying and we broaden the scope of the value we place on it, for example, right? Serving millions of impressions inherently has value and that value might not manifest in the form of user A, clicked this and immediately downloaded it. It might manifest in the form of, hey, this was an assist or hey, they saw this commercial on TV and that impacted them in potentially these ways, or are we thinking over indexes for impacting them in these ways? And that's how you as a marketer need to start looking at things is more at that 360 view. Is that kind of accurate?
1: Yeah, I think so. And I consider myself like a generalist marketer and, and quite a full-stack marketer. So I've been in businesses that have done above the line. And I completely agree with your point about incrementality. You know, there are best practices around experimental design that marketers, particularly in this day and age where so much is measurable, have to set their their experiments up, their marketing mixes up so that you can identify maybe what the four or five things are that drive growth, right? Okay, we've established that these five things put together in a month might drive some incrementality and then optimize from there and see whether if we drop this, drop that. You know, we did print at previous businesses. I've seen great PR campaigns drive 40% increases in organic month, which stayed higher, which, which remained. It wasn't just a spike and then drop back down to normal. So there's all sorts of channels and non-digital channels that can drive this value. And I think experimental design, how you measure incrementality properly and isolate the variables, that's just so important. But to your point about multi-touch and whether it's sort of all the different models you have that sit beneath that linear and weighted and time decay and what have you, I bet, and I put myself, by the way, in the majority here, I bet you if you got all of the performance marketers in the world in a room and said, who actually can talk to us about this in a a serious amount of granularity, as in actually teach us not just the principles, but actually tell us that they've got this, they understand this, not just the principles, but they can put this into practice in a business. We'd be talking low single digit percentages, right? And I certainly wouldn't be in that group, but- Me neither. So I think it's about understanding it. It's about saying, what can I take that's simple and apply this to my mix? And then learning and growing from there and baby steps.
0: Totally. Speaking to the idea of baby steps, if someone wants to learn more about cross-screen or people-based attribution or PBA, whatever you want to call it. I'm not sure if PBA is even an acronym, but uh, if someone does want to learn more about this subject, where would you suggest that they go? Are there particular blogs or content they can suggest?
1: Yeah, we do. I'm going to say like our website, but not just our website as such. We have lots of learning resources ourselves. I actually think overall in the market, the level of educational material, the quantity of educational material is actually quite low. And I think that talks to your point about the fact that similar to multi-touch, is isn't something that lots of people have cracked, because the second people crack it and they've got the perfect solution or the perfect case study. They shout about it very loud. And that that isn't now there. This is definitely a developing space. So there aren't times that we do, you know, I actually did before I joined that I did a Mama board, which is one of our, you know, our sort of whiteboard video formats that we do that are sort of quite technical deep dives. Mine wasn't on PVA, but it was on incrementality and experimental design. It was about the organic myth. The sort of, hey, we spent 100 grand extra last month, and hey, our organics went up, and that's organic. And of course, it's not organic. It's just that we can't necessarily always measure everything. So you can measure those things if you have good experimental design. So that's something I'm quite passionate about, and I think definitely...
0: I had no idea. We'll have to do another podcast because incrementality is... That's what I talk about probably 60, 70% of my day. So it's something that I too. And that's, again, the big reason why I'm not a huge fan of multi-touches because multi-touch, even at its best, will still make assumptions, whereas incrementality does not, which is something that I like.
1: Agreed. When you think about PBA as well, sorry to just interrupt, but I I agree with exactly what you said there. And I think when you think about PBA, that's why I say start simple. Understand what it looks like. You don't have to have perfect time-decay models that you've kind of A-B tested against linear models and then split tested again, and you don't have to go to that level of granularity, right, unless you're fortunate to have some very, very good data analysts and, and available to you in your marketing team, then, then start simple. Understand your user journey. See what insights you can get. I also like the potential with PBA, which we do obviously use as an acronym internally, but with people-based attribution, the ability to work more closely with product teams because When you think about people based attribution, the best way you can do it is to get people to log in. And the best way you can get people to log in is to have a great reason for them to log in. And that's by putting a premium feature, not necessarily a paid feature, but a premium feature, as in one that has a lot of value to the user behind login. SkyScanner did it back in 2013, 2014. They put price alerts, which were the killer use case for that platform. Yeah, they put that behind login. They didn't charge anyone for it because of course they don't need to. They're making money off their other revenue streams when they sell holidays and and, and airfares. But that was the killer use case of the platform was tell me when this price drops. I'm willing to buy this flight to New York if it's below $300. So please let me know when it does. And we said, yeah, sure. Give us your email address and we'll ping you an email when it drops. And as soon as we got that, what we were able to do was then see that that person would then go online and log in three days later. And we learned very quickly that Tuesday, Monday and Tuesday mornings before 9 a.m. were well, the killer times for mobile app traffic. That's when people are going to work on a Monday and dreaming about that holiday and thinking, oh, God, i have got to go to another week of work. Let me Google that holiday. But Sunday afternoon was when on the desktop, they'd gone to the desktop, probably with their partner or whoever they're going to have to travel with and spend a much longer session actually researching it and then probably transact at that point on the desktop. But by putting that feature behind login, Working with the product team in that kind of proper growth squad kind of format, we got huge insight into the user journey. And when people research what, what they used different devices for, this has all changed now, I think, because I think five or six years later, people are transacting on mobile a lot more comfortably. So that's always changing. But yeah, I think the other thing with PBA is just excited to see how people can use that to influence and work with products on how you actually build those propositions and, and maybe put features behind login that, that really help you drive better consumer data.
0: There's a ton here to think about, and the advantages are real, and I'm so excited to kind of see what you guys can do as it relates to p v a what the industry does as it relates, how advertisers start using it to again inform their decisions more wisely, but at the very minimum, david, it's been so awesome having you on the line today you are a true fountain of knowledge, and I would love to have you back on the podcast sometime in the near future, and we can maybe chat incrementality, just my favorite thing in the world, but to our listeners. Today's guest, David Llewellyn, who is the marketing director for EMEA at Apps Flyer. David, thank you so much. Really appreciate it, man.
1: I'm so grateful for you inviting me on. And I've really, really enjoyed our conversation, Tommy. And I hope it's been helpful, but I've really, really enjoyed it either way.
0: It's been fantastic. This is probably one of my highlight episodes. So thank you, David. Really
1: appreciate it. <laughs> thank you. That's so kind.
0: Thanks for taking a break with us and listening to our weekly episode of Activate by Remerge. If you enjoyed what you heard, leave us a five-star review on iTunes and tell your friends about the podcast. The more people you tell, the further we can spread these awesome mobile marketing insights. See you next week.